Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. With Amanda Howard and Robert McKnight. Hello and welcome to a brand new season of Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. Amanda, it's season 10. I know, someone asked me the other day, oh, do you have a podcast? And I go, yeah. And so she she looked it up and goes, oh, you've just done nine seasons. I went, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. <laughs> so it's great that Absolutely. we're at 10. And in, during this season, I think we hit 100 episodes. So, oh. Yes. Yeah, so I do have them all numbered and I do keep a, a, an order of them because as we all know, I have that document of 25 years of podcasts. Mm. Um, yes, and we're getting very close to our 100th episode. Wow, that'll be huge. How can we celebrate? Bring you our favourite serial killers of all time or what do we do? I don't know. People send in suggestions and tell us what you think you'd like us to do for that very special 100th episode. It is coming soon. I'd say we'd do a nerdy episode, but that's situation normal, really. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into the news stories of this week before we get to our big profile on Scott Peterson. A neonatal nurse, Lucy Letby, has faced a British court accused of murdering eight babies, five boys and three girls in a 12-month killing spree at Chester Hospital in late 2015 and early 2016. The 30-year-old nurse is also charged with attempted murder of another 10 babies, five boys and five girls, and has been remanded in custody and the case transferred to a higher court. The babies were all patients at the Countess of Chester Hospital in Chester, where Mrs Letby worked as a nurse. A police investigation began in 2017 to uncover the causes of a spike of deaths of 17 babies and 16 non-fatal collapses of babies from March 2015 until July 2016. Amanda, we see this again and again. Someone in a position of trust accused of killing those in their care. Yes, and this has been a case that, as as we can see, it has been ongoing since 2016. This is the third time that she's actually been arrested for this. So uh, she was arrested in July in 2017 and then again in July 2018 and now again in, in 2020. And uh, it's because they did a massive um, investigation because she has worked at several hospitals. It needed right. to be a, a, a larger scale. And, yes, uh, these people that have this sort of control, nurses, doctors, uh, caregivers, foster care, all this sort of stuff, it, we, we see this, that they um, take on these roles. And even when we did Elizabeth Wetloffer, they take on these roles and then they find that they have this innate urge to do harm, usually so then they can look like the hero or, as in Wetloffer's case, because she was sick of these patients and found them revolting. Yeah, so we don't know if there's a motive here. And it's still early days, even though this has been going on for years. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see what this happens because... 
a, a lot of families of children have spoken out um, for Nurse Letby, saying that, you know, that she was amazing. One of them had her as, you know, like a, a, a godparent or something, and there's all of this sort of stuff going on saying this is someone who, you know, um, w- was going to do this for her whole entire life because she's actually quite a young nurse and a, a only a new, newly experienced nurse when this all happened. But everyone's saying, you know, they, they cannot believe that this is who kills. And this is what we say again and again in this podcast. It's the least expected mm. people that we find out are the killers. And the, and the photos that are out there of this alleged killer, she's, you know, holding up baby clothes and she's smiling, a young blonde girl, you know, just not what you think of when you think of a serial killer. Yeah, I, I think that's really, really a good point. Um it's it's shocking, but we will follow this case. We will follow this case and see what happens and bring you any updates. Meanwhile, let's turn our attention to South Korea, where a man has admitted to murdering 14 women and girls three decades ago in one of the country's most notorious serial killing cases. Lee Chung-jae said he was surprised he wasn't caught earlier. The admission comes after an innocent man was actually jailed for one of the murders and spent 20 years in jail. He was released in 2008, but his identity has been kept secret. Amanda, this killer always believed his crimes would be revealed one day, but that didn't stop him. No, it didn't. And it's it's this is one of those huge cases that has sort of hung around. The Hawaii Song serial killers has been a cold case for so long. And in South Korea, they actually have a statute of limitations on murders as well. So he couldn't actually be charged with most of the killings, but he was happy to confess. And he was ah. quite shocked. And he, he sort of was only caught because one of the victims ended up being uh, a family member. And so that's sort of how they sort of linked it. And once he was linked to that case, he said, well... How about all of these others I've done because I can't be charged with them now? So, you know, it's just a cunning um, attempt at at a power play. So it's quite interesting. But, yeah, when when this broke, because it it actually broke last year, but now it's actually going through the courts, um, it's quite amazing how how it has twisted and turned over the years. As you said, someone else was actually charged and sentenced uh, to life for these crimes. Um, But thankfully he didn't get the death penalty, which is quite surprising, um, that he's now... You know, the actual serial killer, Lee Jong-jae, has actually been um, arrested purely because of one of the victims being a family member. It's really interesting to me, the serial killers that want people to know of their work and the others that profess their innocence even though we know they're guilty, (laughs) they've been found guilty. Yeah, Yeah, there is those two trains of thoughts and both of them are are power plays. We have the one power play where you say that um, they protest their innocence and they sort of fight for that and they go down to their dying breath like Ivan Milat did, protesting their innocence because that's the kind of play that they have because they can't sort of say, oh, I've got other ca- cases that you should be yeah. looking at. It's about, you know, always being the innocent party and they basically perceive themselves as the victim in all of this. So this mm. is that narcissism that comes uh, across. Then there's these others who, oh, yeah, well, I've got more. You know, you've only found half of them, you know, like we've seen with Samuel Little and to a lesser extent um, Israel Keys, who sort of uh. alluded to all these cases but didn't want to say too much about them and now we'll never know. That's a different sort of power play because they know that they can gain more by giving out these little shreds of evidence and they remain relevant and that's their narcissism coming forward. So, you know... Two, two different power plays but for the same result, and that is that they remain relevant. Mm. 
while the Yorkshire Ripper Peter Sutcliffe has died aged 74. He was jailed for murdering 13 women and attempted murder of a further seven from 1975 to 1980. The funeral is believed to have been arranged by his ex-wife Sonia and took place in a top-secret ceremony to avoid a public backlash. Amanda, if the location of this grave becomes known, is it possible it would be turned into some kind of morbid shrine? I don't think so. I mean, it would be something that, oh, yeah, you're in Yorkshire, go and have a look at his grave. And there is some over these, like Ed Gein's uh, headstone has been stolen and, and returned several times and there's been a replacement done. And there are some that get graffitied or, or smashed up. So less of a morbid shrine and and like a thrill-seeking thing, it would be more about a backlash saying that he is a horrible, evil person and doesn't deserve right. uh, to be in consecrated ground and all of that sort of stuff. So I think it would go the other way. Yeah, there would be people like me who would w- want to go and see it purely just to see it, but I'd also want to go to all of the sites where he had um, a- attacked these poor women. But um, I don't think it would be, you know, covered in flowers and candles and blessings and things like that. He He's very much a very hated man in England and... All of the people, and I know people that have written books on him and spoken to him. I tried, but he said no. I just got a letter back from him saying no, I'm not going to talk to you, um, which is fine. Um, but even those people that have have spent time with him and written about him still feel the joy that he's now dead finally. Right. Okay, very interesting. Uh, Look, don't forget, you can get full access to the previous collection of Monsters Who Murder episodes. We're in Season 10, but the whole collection is up on our Patreon page for as little as $5 per month. So if you want to hear some classic episodes and some really in-depth cases, go to patreon.com slash mwmconfessions. And while you're there, check out the other tiers and see what's available, including a secret group chat on Facebook that Amanda hosts, and you can interact with the serial killer whisperer. All right, we'll take a break and in a moment, Scott Peterson. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ben, Robin, it's the most talked about TV show that's not on TV. And I think you guys are amazing. With raw, honest opinions. This was not a mistake. This was a lie. Exclusive stories. Some industry insiders have been talking about this. Is that a Ben Robin Robbo exclusive? And plenty of famous faces. I'm not wasting these gold moments on the 60 Minutes. <laughs> the Ben Robin Robbo Show is the new way to stream your news. This is the stuff that headlines are made of. Live every Monday to Thursday. Thursday at 1pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on Ticker TV or Facebook and Twitter at BRR Show. Watch live or on demand. It's In Modesto, California at 8.30pm on December 23, 2002, Lacey Peterson spoke to her mother on the phone. They were making plans for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Lacey also spoke of her pregnancy and how she was feeling. It was the last known living confirmation of Lacey Peterson. Her husband Scott claimed he saw her for the final time on Christmas Eve morning 
at 9.30am as he left to go golfing. That's what he told friends he would be doing that day. He would later tell police she had planned chores for the day that included some final cleaning, Christmas baking, and she would also walk the family's golden retriever, Mackenzie. Later that morning, the dog was found twice by two different neighbours. Mackenzie had somehow gotten free from the Peterson yard and was muddy. Peterson returned later that afternoon to find Lacey not home, but her car was in the driveway. He informed her family. Four months later, on April 13, 2003, two people walking their dog made a disturbing discovery. On the banks of a swampy region of the Berkeley area of San Francisco Bay, a decomposing full-term baby boy with the umbilical cord still attached was floating amongst the vegetation. According to ABC News, the baby was found with a significant injury to its body as well as a plastic cord tied around its tiny throat. However, other sources claim the baby had been born post-mortem in what is called a coffin death. Amanda, can you explain what a coffin death is? Okay, we're going to get into some pretty gruesome stuff with this case. But, yeah, what a coffin death is is when um, a woman is quite pregnant when she she when she dies and as the um, de- decomposition begins and the body actually swells, it actually pushes the, the child out through the birth canal. It can sometimes come through, like, the, the front of the stomach as well. But usually oh. the baby is, is squashed by the de- decomposing abdomen of of its mother and it pushes the baby out and so the baby is expelled from the body like it would be a normal death but it actually happens post-death um or post being killed and it's actually been seen a lot um when people have dug up coffins and they found that a pregnant woman who has died either during childbirth or or just prior to that they've actually expelled the baby after they've been um interred is the baby alive no no. Right. What, what, once the mum dies, that the baby has a very short window of time that they can be um, taken from the mother's womb. Um, usually if this happens, it, it, it can happen like a mother may have cancer or something and maybe in hospital and she's about to expire. They, they usually start um, some artificial respiration until they can actually um, get the baby out of the mother. It's happened. Um, there has been women who have gone into comas that um, have then passed away and things like that. So if there is a viability of um, taking the baby before death or very soon after that, they do that. But this is what happens, and it's happened for, for thousands of years, that women that have died during pregnancy or during childbirth then expel that baby um, right. once they've died. Okay. Well, look, the following day, the torso of a woman was also found. The body was missing its head, arms and legs, but was still clothed in tan pants and a maternity bra. Five days later, DNA was able to identify the bodies as Lacey Peterson and her unborn baby, Connor. With the identification of the pair, Lacey's husband, Scott, was arrested the same day. So let's get to his various interrogations, Amanda. To start, this is the first interview he had on just after midnight on Christmas Day, the day after he had reported Lacey missing a few hours earlier. Now, look, obviously at this time she's not been found, so it's essentially a missing, missing persons case. So Amanda sent me the scene. Okay. Well, the scene is actually filmed from above, which is what we see often with, with these sorts of interviews because it isn't sort of that um, interrogation time. This is just about trying to find out what's going on. Um, the camera is is facing Scott Peterson and he's leaning forward on the table. Uh, the room's actually very, very small, so there is barely enough room between him and, and, and the wall behind him besides the table and the officers on the other side of 
of the table. Um, Peterson has short, dark hair. He's a, he's actually quite an attractive man and um, people are very much fans of him, I think, because of his attractiveness. I find him heinous and disgusting, but um, he is a good-looking man. Uh, Dean Kane played him in a midday movie on this case, so right. there's your image of what he he looks like so he was wearing a very heavy cream jacket with a brown collar a blue shirt underneath and when we see him for the first time he's actually already sitting down in the room and so the recording starts once they've actually started um he's playing with something in front of him that looks like a pair of sunglasses which is quite odd at midnight but anyway um an officer comes in and gives him a cup that Peterson actually drinks from quite quickly and then the officer makes the usual introductions and explains what the process is going to be as the officer who is um detective Al Braccini it talks he um Peterson actually sits back in his chair puts his hands in his pockets and just sort of chills so there's absolutely no sort of um concerns or anything from Peterson which is quite unusual okay well detective Braccini then asks Peterson to go over the day tell me about the morning um, yeah. uh, I don't know what time we got up. Probably, uh, at least he got up and went and, um, assumed had she had some chill breakfast. He's probably she wakes up, otherwise she gets sick because she's pregnant. Um, I laid around in bed longer and I got up at, uh, 8 o'clock probably or so. Uh, showers. Um, we were watching her favorite show, Martha Stewart. Watched a little bit of that. Okay, so you can already see what he's doing here. <laughs> what is he doing? Well, you know, we see this in hindsight. So, of course, it's very easy to sort of make the, these judgments when we know what the outcome is. Um, but he's setting up this persona of being the dutiful husband, you know. He's he's talking about that he was concerned mm. about her morning sickness and, you know, that her, her pregnancy is getting on. I think she was about seven, eight months, maybe even six. Like, she was heavily pregnant. Um, You know, and that he says that, that they sat together and they watched her favourite show together. You know, he's sort of saying, you know, I just did what she wanted me to do and I was there and being a wonderful doting husband. Now, I also spotted something. Like another interview we did a while ago, this officer is writing down his statement word for word. Now, I've got to say... I hope we don't see a repeat of him stopping the conversation <laughs> so he can catch up. It's, oh, that was painful. Yeah, I know. It's not going to be as bad. Um, but, yeah, I thought, please, please, please don't do this. Do not start writing down every word, you know. <laughs> um, but I think what it comes down to, like, he isn't going to be that bad, but he will sort of go over a few things sometimes, but he does let Peterson talk. But please, police departments, Turn on your mobile phones and record this or something. Like, ask for a better recording. Maybe they're equipment. just old school. I mean, some of them. There is one that we actually had to pull because the quality was so bad, but it's a fantastic episode that I do hope that we do. It, it, it was filmed, like, five years ago, and it's on, like, a VCR tape. Like, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, really, guys? And I know it's because they do re-record over them, but, like, surely there's a statute of limitations that they have to sort of keep these things for a long time. But I know that they do a lot of in interviews because someone wants to come in and complain about the lady next door with her cats, you know, and I get that. But it's just so shocking to me that there is still officers that sit there and notate every single thing the, the person being interviewed says and stops them. But this isn't going to be that bad, I promise. 
Okay. Well, Detective Pacini then asked Peterson to continue with his rundown. You didn't watch the whole thing, though. No. You remember what part you saw? I mean, I don't know what to... Well, could deal. I don't know. Okay. He's a sub-store. They're talking about what to do with Meringue. Um, and I, I can't remember. Your house, you had the, the converted garage area as a TV room like? Yeah. Is that where you were then? Okay, did you eat any breakfast? Yeah, I was here. Okay, and then, uh, what, then what? Um... When did you realize you were going to go fishing? Well, that was a morning decision. It's either, that was a morning decision. So play golf at the club or, or go fishing. Okay. Um, it seemed too cold to go play golf at the club. So, um, yeah, just decided to, you know, 930 or whatever that. Mm-hmm. Told what she was going to do for the day. and. Okay, so Bob, she told you what she was going to do for the day. Yeah. And what was that? Um, she's going to finish cleaning up. Like I said, she's walking the kitchen for her. Um, take the dog for a walk, and then she's going to the store to buy for Christmas morning breakfast tomorrow. And that was going to be a involved prep. So that was her afternoon, just prepping the breakfast. And She's going to make gingerbread cookies for tonight. What was she mommy? The tile in the entryway area. The entry of your front door or the entry of your little that you converted? When I, oh, the, um, well, not the front door, but that back door that we came in. Right, where the mop was outside of it? No, no, no. Oh, where you, oh, where your dogs? One out to your well, right okay, you have the converted garage, yeah. right? Then you have the kitchen, yeah. then you have a room with two chairs in it. Right. Yeah, that room in the kitchen. I don't know how far she planned to go. She had me put the, uh, the bucket by the front door for her. So she asked you to put the mop bucket by the front door? Yeah, she's you know, once pregnant, I can't pick it up or anything, so I filled it up for her and put it in a, I guess, the central place. How did it, did you move it back after or when you come home, or how did it get outside? Yeah, yeah. So you put it out there? Mm-hmm. Dog and the cat ran in. Yeah, she wasn't about to lift anything heavy. Now, this is interesting to me because now that you've said it, I can hear him talking about how he did things for her, like moving them, moving them up where she needed it. Yeah, but, like, the officer asked him, well, where was she going to, to mop? Now, I'm not being sexist, but, Robert, if your mom, if, if your wife was, was going to say, well, I'm just going to mop today, well, would you know that she was going to do the exact entrance way and that's it? Like... No, know? I guess not. Yeah. Um, I, I guess you would say, oh, I'm just going to mop 
the kitchen or yeah. whatever it might be. I don't know. You might. Uh, I don't know. No, I think this is more about him filling in gaps. So he needs to have an answer. And it's it's a tactic that they use because if he says, oh, she was going to mop the front area. Now, the police had been through the house that, that night once once they had been alerted that she had disappeared. They actually come to the Peterson house before taking him um, to be interviewed. Now, it's quite interesting because the officer actually points out at various locations that she could have mopped, you know, and Peterson's just sort of says, oh, yeah, it, it was the end and she weighed and stuff. And it's this, it's these sorts of things that then they can actually go through later and say, well, why did you say that? Because that's not actually what happened, you know. And at the same time, you know, he's he's trying to appear helpful and saying, you know, yes, I bought in, in, in the mop for her. But I will say... She's heavily pregnant. It's Christmas Eve. She's mopping the house anyway, and he's going out to play golf. Now, I'm saying that in <laughs> inverted commas because that's going to come well, up later. Sorry, but... what's your point here? What's what's wrong? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, but but it's it's about filling in, in those gaps that he thinks that he needs to do. Like most men would go, oh, I have no idea. I didn't even know that she had a mop, you know, like it's just sort of stuff like that. Didn't even know yeah. she had a mop. <laughs> well, oh, my God, Amanda. <laughs> Just for the record, yeah. I'm the one who usually mops the floors in my house. <laughs> I don't have a choice. Um, look, was he, were police suspecting him of something at this point? Well, yes and no. I mean, people don't disappear. I mean, I know they do with this thousands that do every year, but this is a a middle-aged woman. Oh, she was about 30, so I wouldn't say that. Um, and she was heavily pregnant and it's not a typical sort of disappearance, you know. It's not sort yeah. of someone who's who, who's packed their bags and they're going away because they can't cope or something like that. So it is an unusual case. So they have to take it seriously, you know, but at the same time they could also be thinking, so she's gone to walk the dog because the dog was found out. Um, you know, maybe she's passed out somewhere and been rushed to a hospital and, you know, and is unconscious or something and they don't have her details. So there's all these different scenarios that they need to play out because murder is sort of the last sort of area that they need to go through. It's more about the yeah. other possible consequences. And murder is uncommon. No matter how yes, much we yes. speak about it on this podcast, in society, it is actually not that common yeah. to have someone murder someone. Yeah. All right. Peterson was then asked what Lacey was wearing when he last saw her. So when you left, do you remember what she was wearing? Uh, black pants, uh, white long sleeve top. The kind of buttons are no, just like the long sleeve t-shirt kind of thing. But yeah, didn't say anything on it or. Um, jacket or shoes? No, no shoes. Do you notice what jacket? What jacket was there? Or did she wear like if she went walk walking at ten o'clock or nine thirty? She just steals my stuff. She uses your stuff? Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. stuff would turn to stuff, so I don't, I don't know. You don't know what type of one? She could have had her or mine or nothing, I don't know. How about shoes? Does she have a certain kind of shoes that she walks in her own? Yeah, I use a pair of white tennis shoes. Do you know them? Did you remember if they were there or not? Um, vouchers, I looked for them in their normal place, which is outside of the wet bar. Uh -huh. Um, they were not there, but we didn't look further, so they couldn't be in the house. They weren't where they normally left. 
keeps on lying where those were those were they normally keep. Now, when her body was found, she was in tan pants. Is this him trying to deceive or, again, filling in gaps, or, or did she get changed? I mean, it's really difficult to know, but um, this could be an attempt to deceive that, you know, he starts to get vague on her shoes, you know, and says he didn't sort of look for them. and he's But he's so calm and, you know, he doesn't appear too worried. I mean, if this was my wife and she was heavily pregnant, she's not at home, I'd be freaking out. I would be hysterical. Yeah. I mean... To sort of use my own own experience, my husband was gone for an hour, and I was freaking out trying to find him and ringing places and trying to work out where he is before I unfortunately found him. Um, it's it's interesting that he's he's so calm and can go, yeah, I, I assume she had shoes on, yeah, I don't know about a coat. You know, he's he's sort of so blasé. I would be saying, I don't care what she was wearing, just find her. You know, and mm. it's it's just amazing. But um, it's. What the detective will later say, you know, that it sort of starts to come through in this interview because he is so calm. Well, Bruccini then takes Peterson through his timeline. He talks about heading out to the fishing spot, which is more than an hour's drive away from their home. Okay, you drive straight there. I did. You stop for lunch? No. By me? No, I'm a big fisherman. You didn't buy a lunch? You didn't eat nothing? You didn't take a lunch? No, I didn't. I was damn hungry for that pizza when I got home. Okay, so if you got to the about five minutes to one, you get your boat in, how long do you think you stayed in the water? Um, felt like an hour and a half or so, but I didn't have watch or anything, but see if I was getting home at 30 or two, I don't know, an hour and a half, I guess, probably accurate. Did you have a map for that area or? No. Would you just wing it? So you just, when you got in your boat and you took off, did you go very far? Or? Well, I mean, right a couple miles. I went north, um, found a, like a little island kind of deal there. Um, island uh, had a bunch of trash on it. I remember a big sign that said no landing. It looked like some broken piers around it. I just assumed it would be a decent, you know, shallow area. you troll? A little bit. I mean, a lot of, a lot of the reason I went was just to get that boat in the water to see, you know, yeah. So he's saying he drove an hour each way to go fishing for 90 minutes just to try out a new boat? Yeah, so this is him trying to extend this um, timeline of his of his, him being away from the home. So what's that, an hour each way? So it's three and a half hours that he isn't home and apparently this is where he, he went, you know. But this is the doting husband who sits with his wife and watches Martha Stewart who on Christmas Eve 
while she's heavily pregnant and cleaning the house, is going fishing. Now, the interesting part is mm. he's going fishing, not golfing, like he'd already said, but we will get to that a bit further. I, I was yeah. going to ask you about that because I, I, I had in my head, have I misremembered, because I thought we were talking about golfing at one point. Yes. But, okay, yep. you said we're going to come yep, to that. Um I get the feeling the detective is not buying it, and especially if there's different stories going on. But he's still playing along. But then during the interview, Peterson takes a phone call. Lacey's half-sister, Amy, calls him. She's at the Peterson home. The call lasts a minute, 15 seconds. Peterson tells the detective who it was, and he just returns back to Peterson's timeline without skipping a beat. Okay, so you fish 90 minutes, about then what, you go back to go back to the marina, get back in your boat. Yeah. You see anybody, you talk to anybody out there? Um, talk to a couple guys fishing, asked me to catch anything, and no, they didn't either. Um, the guys working, fixing, uh, maintenance guys got a good laugh for me trying to back down the trailer. Okay. Um, so a couple guys laughing, a couple guys talking about fishing. Um, then what, how did you get there? Um, highway, you mean? Yeah. Um, what's, it, what's the highway to uh, Oakland? It's 580. Yeah. And they take 80, 80 north, right, to go to, like, um, to Sacramento or... Um, so you took 580, 80 north? Okay. Yeah, and it's like second exit in Berkeley. Come over the same way? Yeah. And stop for gas? Stop for gas and um, I guess it's a little more. A little more pleasant. Which one is near the old mine? A little more. Okay. Um, where'd you stop? Uh, I think it's a Chevron station. There's a uh, bus around there. Was that on the way home or the way in there? Well, how'd you pay? Credit card? I've got to say, he seems very convincing. He isn't swayed. He's got answers for everything. Yeah, and it's amazing. You know, he made sure he used his, his credit card at a region long way away from where she's found, you know, and make sure that he's seen on, on all these cameras going along all these highways, you know. And most of his saying is the truth. He just wasn't fishing. Mm. Well, Peterson, in fact, has Lacey's phone with him and plays it for the detective. He plays the answering machine message he'd left when he called Lacey to say he was on his way home. <laughs> this guy's cunning. Have a listen. Did you, uh, when you left, were you wearing, what, what were you wearing when you left? Uh, blue jeans and blue t-shirt. Okay. And what were those shoes? Timberland. Which jacket? Not uh, one in your jacket in your truck? Well, I left the house. Uh -huh. I didn't have a jacket on. Right. Um, but I was in the warehouse. Um, I had that green pullover on. It was in my trunk, you saw. Uh, when it started raining, I had a camo jacket on in the boat and a tan hat. Okay, so then you uh, went back to the shop. You took the boat. What happened? What else did you do? Anything else? 
No, I'm hooked it. I guess I saw that fax. Blake hitting home, so straight home. Anybody else in the warehouse area uh, came up? Not this afternoon, there was a field this morning. Now, Mandy, you made this point earlier. He made sure he was seen. Yeah, you know, and he was only seen in the morning getting the boat. So, But when he returns later that afternoon, no one sees him, you know. But uh, I have to say that detective writing is starting to get to me a bit. I didn't realise that. I'm not really noticing it. It's okay this time. (laughs) It's not like that other case that was just... Painful. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not that bad, but but it is a bit slower. That, but um, but I think at the same time, it does sort of make these people continue to talk. So when someone needs to fill those gaps, um, by having gaps made available to them, you know, they sort of watch what's being written down. You know, it's it's, it's like when you go to a job interview and people are writing down what what you're saying. So you keep. So you keep talking because you know they're going to keep writing if you keep talking. So you keep talking, and um, maybe that's why I don't get jobs. Um, but <laughs> but um, this is what he is he, doing. He's trying to fill those gaps, and so obviously we, we can't see it. But the detective starts to write things down, and Peterson continues to try and fill those gaps. Now. Let's get to the point where Peterson is getting home. He says a few things here that will later be proven as lies, but I've got to say at this time he sounds very convincing. Okay, then you got home. Then what, how'd you go? What door did you go in? Went in uh, what I would call our back door, which is that French door where my shoes were at. See your dog out there? Yeah. Yeah, he's there. And did he still have his leash on? So I took the hat off, obviously. What'd you do with it? Um, put it on the picnic table. Is that how that French door is right on? Yes. Fishy comes home, meets the pets, does a load of washing, 
Yeah, yeah. So it's amazing that this man who who lets his wife stay home and clean while he goes fishing or golfing or whatever his story he, he wants it to be, um, suddenly has to come in the clo- in come in the back door and instantly go and wash his clothes after he's moved that mop, of course, because that's the important thing, you know. But it's interesting that for <laughs> a man who doesn't care that his pregnant wife is mopping, and I'm going to stick to that. I'm sorry. Um, he puts on this load of washing and then throws in some some cloths as well, um, you know. But there is so many pieces to this part of the story that are actually later alleged to, to be in, incorrect. One, uh, the dog was so muddy that he would have had to have washed his hands because the dog was putrid. So, But he doesn't mention that. He, he doesn't say, oh, my God, a Mac come home and he was muddy and I had to take off his leash and everything and I got dirty because he jumped on me, you know. Because we're talking December in America, so it's cold. You know, and mm. but there's none of this, and then he you know feeds feeds the cat and the dog dutifully and moves out the mop, and then the clothes that he had on that day when he went fishing but didn't actually fish, um, he had to wash those and some rags. So it's alleged that what went into the wash for that load was actually the clothes that he was wearing when he killed his wife, and likely mm. needed to wash them. Well, in all of that timeline, when he got home, there was one important part missing. Were you calling for Lacey or? Oh, yeah, of course. But she went home? No. Soon she's at her mom's. You're, you put your jeans, your blue t shirt, anything else in there? I think that green polo was in there too, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was. So. Did you did you use did you start the washer? Yeah. Did you put soap? Mm-hmm. Okay, then what? Uh, grab some beef up from the fridge. Put the box out. Yeah. Put on the counter like the lunch. Lots of milk. Is there anything this guy doesn't have an answer for? <laughs> um, no, he does have answers because most of it is actually the truth, except for the fishing part. That's the, actually the murder part. And the part. killing the wife. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but so it's easy for him him to recall these things because this is what happened. He has killed his wife and then he's, he's taken her in, in the boat, dumped her and then come back cleaned up, that's why the mop's there, um, and the rags and throws his clothes into wash and then he has to shower as well because he needs to clean himself off, you know. But he's not being very emotional. And I know you don't get emotional talk about that. You need to go and have a shower. But he's not talking about, oh, well, I called out and my wife didn't answer so I just assume she's there somewhere and I'll just go and have a shower, you know. It's not what happens, you know, and it's just so matter of fact that even mm. Lucy's, um, even even Lacey's sister called, you know, he didn't panic, you know, he 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 didn't go, oh my god, is had they found her, you know, oh, hopefully that this is the cause, nothing like that. It's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Mm. Okay, well, let's go back to the interview. The detective raises a very interesting question. So you guys were supposed to be there. You're supposed to go to dinner there tonight at six thirty or last night at six thirty. Okay, so you told Sharon, or did you talk to Ron? Talk to um, talk to Mom for Sharon. And what? What I asked Blaze was there. Told me no. Who called us? Ron did. 
did he tell you who's going to call? What, who else did you call other people in? I called Sharon, um, and then I called a couple of Lacey's uh, closer friends, I think Stacy and Renee. Um, and that was, had the phone book out to call hospitals when I think Sharon called me back at that point and said that they would do that and call the police and for me to uh, check the neighbors and go to the park. Now, is it just me or does he get vague when questions get tough? Yeah, I mean, he could say that they watched um, Martha Stewart make pancakes, uh, but he doesn't remember who he called looking for his wife. So this is an attempt at evasion. So he sort of makes it vague enough that it, it, it's a sweeping statement um, because he can't say, oh, well, I wronged Julie at 12 o'clock because when they go and check with Julie, Julie will go, no. So he says, oh, yeah, I, I got out the phone book and, you know, I rung her, her best friend because he would need to definitely do that. Um, you know, but this is this is a type of tactic that they use when um he doesn't want to leave a larger footprint about the parts of, of, of the puzzle that aren't truthful. So, you know, he, he knows what what has happened and everything. And so he, he needs to sort of get the right specifics down. He knows that he can lay down exactly what happened in the morning because, let's face it, there's no one else to um, go against that statement because it was just him and her. But in the afternoon when he has to play the game, he sort of gets vague and just sort of starts to act like, oh, well, I just... You know, I just assume that she's somewhere and, and we'll find her, you know, and that her parents actually have to go and make all these phone calls, you know, and it's something that w- when we do the Chris Watts case soon, you know, he doesn't want too many alarm bells going off, you know. He just wants to keep the story straight that he's come home, but there's no emotion, you know. But the fact that the police turned up so quickly to his house once he'd rung his parents, he wasn't prepared for that. Mm. And so now he doesn't have as much time as he thought he would have because, you know, because everyone believes you have to wait 24 to 48 hours before you report someone as as missing. But with a case like this, this is a pregnant woman who isn't at home where she should be. It rings alarm bells. You know, it's it's not some teenage runaway that the police don't care about and that's one of the worst scenes because they often turn up to be the most vulnerable people that do get taken. But this case is like, yeah, no, this is a white, good-looking, middle-aged woman who's pregnant in a good suburb. They are going to act quickly and he wasn't expecting that. Interesting. Um, you sort of mentioned it there. It was Peterson who alerted the family, but it wasn't him who made the phone call to the police. In fact, it was Lacey's stepfather. Have a listen to that call. Okay, is that a house in a... What is your name? 
name? My name is Ron. I'm our Okay, what is your name? to me the first thing that he says is that scott went golfing 
Yep. So Scott had planned out this event. So he had told everyone what he was going to do. But obviously when he was seen picking up the boat, he had to change his story and say he went fishing because he was seen. So ah. and so he knows that that was garbage to be part of the issue um, because he certainly didn't want people to think that he was fishing when she was found in water later. So, yeah, so this is where it starts to unravel is that we have the 911 call and this is going to play into it because the the stepdad believed that he had gone golfing and, he, and Scott may have even said, I've just got home from golf. We don't know that. Mm. But, um, yeah, so we're starting to see that these gaps begin to appear because what he's told people and what actually happened is two very different things. And once people start to question part of it, it's a house of cards. It just falls mm. down. Well, it seems like he laid it out pretty well, but then, had mm-hmm. you know, when you're scrambling to fix up issues mm-hmm. like being seen, you've got a problem. Let's go back to the police interview. The officer gets to an important question. Are you guys, you guys had any problems, um, marriage problems? Yeah. Everything's good. Mm-hmm. You've been married four years. Yeah. <laughs> okay, very short. Amazing, isn't it? So he chats with other answers and talks about Martha Stewart and where the dog was and which door he used to enter and exit and where the mop was and everything. Do you have any marriage problems? No. Yeah. Well, you know, like it's interesting you say that, Amanda, because compare those two grunts to how he answers the next question. The few the times you walked in the park, you said that uh, you have seen campers, bombs, or whatever. Um, and has Lacey ever complained to you about somebody bombing her? No, I mean, like I said, no, and I don't think it ever come up to her and accosted her in any way. Um, you know, she has times that she's felt uncomfortable and thankful she has the dog. Um, we've called, you know, the police a couple times about people down there just to get them to move on. You know, and it's um, not uncommon for Lacey or myself to, you know, wake one of these guys or ladies up and tell them to get lost. Bit of a red flag there? Oh, it certainly is. I mean, ask if there's any issues, any grunts, and ask if there's any issues at the park. He talks for 50 seconds on just that one question. You know, this is because he doesn't want to talk about his marriage because he'd had numerous affairs and he's actually seen someone at the time of this interview and had spoken to her. So, you know, it's, it's quite interesting when he doesn't want to lie, he doesn't want to answer. Interesting. Well, when they searched Peterson's car, they found an old gun. The officer was interested in it and asked Peterson a tough question. Again, he answers quickly because of what Amanda's just said, but then asks a question that raises another red flag. Would you be uh, willing for me to take a gunshot residue off your hands? Sure, no problem. Exhaust show up as gunshot residue or is it totally different? What? Exhaust? Yeah, from that outboard. Well, you showered after you said so. I'm not thinking this is even a routine, but no, it wouldn't. Okay. <laughs> what? That was dumb, right? That was a dumb
Oh, yes, that's the moment you go, yep, mate, you're gone. You're gone and you know it. Um, I'm sorry, I, I get a thrill out of seeing people caught. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just it's just pretty cool because at the same time, and this is why we're going to do some of these on camera one day, he looks at his hands. Oh. You know, but, but then that police officer reminds him, yeah, but you've already had a shower, so it really doesn't matter anyway, does it? You know, but it's those sorts of cues that they look for. This is what they're waiting for. So all of the other questions, you know, because, you know, they would ask, well, do you have a gun? You know, it's just protocol. You have a gun. Your wife's disappeared. It's now showing Peterson what the officer is thinking just to make sure that they're covering all their bases, you know. But like a normal person would be saying, why are you sitting here talking to me? Get out there and find her. She's missing. It's cold. It's December. It's Christmas. She's pregnant. And I'm sorry, I caught her middle age when she was only 26. I apologise for that. You know, there's all these <laughs> flags that, that, that he should be shouting out at this officer saying, stop wasting your time talking to me. But the fact that he's sitting there and answering these questions and talking about pancakes on Martha Stewart proves that he has no fear of what's happened because he knows that what's happened they're not going to find. Well, things are about to ramp up, Amanda, and we're going to have to come back for a part two on this one because there's some big clips that reveal a lot. So we will continue this case next week in our Season 10 series of Monsters Who Murder Serial Killer Confessions. Amanda, we're back with Avengers, baby. <laughs> I know that we're laughing about a murder, which is really, really horrible, but I just love when when the officer gets his man and, and the stupid things that happen is my favourite thing. Well, you have to hear what happens next and don't forget <laughs> If you want to hear it earlier, go to Patreon, subscribe for $5, and you can get next week's episode now. If you're on Patreon, you still have to wait a week, but you're getting it before everyone else. <laughs> we'll see you next week on Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. Remember to go to patreon.com slash mwmconfessions. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.